Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Waite. What do land value and self-worth have to do with one another? What is the value and worth in land and people? We humans fight a lot over land. It has happened throughout history and around the world. We continue to do it in all sorts of ways everywhere we exist. People take up space. Land is considered empty unless there is something there. That something must be artificial for the empty land to be considered used. Why does that something have to be artificial? What does artificial mean? Artificial is defined as humanly contrived, often on a natural model. Why do humans destroy what is natural and glorify what is artificial? Greco-Roman and Persian history is taught in Canadian high schools. It is done, I believe, to teach us the basics of democratic civilization and the violent road of empire building. Alexander the Great is called Great because he and his army slaughtered a great many Persians. He is also called Great because he inherited a kingdom from his dad, Philip of Macedonia. It was called Macedonia because it wasn't yet part of what we nowadays considered the land region called Greece. This was all done before Jesus existed and even before Rome developed into another great empire of its own. Byzantium was founded in 657 BCE. Because of its location and its fertile lands, the city faced a lot of conflict between the Greeks and the Persians. Over the years, the city was under the control of either Greeks or Persians, depending on who won the most recent conflict. At times, Greeks fought amongst themselves for control of the city and the peninsula it was built upon. For instance, Spartans fought against Athenians for control of grain imports around 408 BCE. That was the Peloponnesian War. After that war, the Thracians, who are technically Greeks, also threatened the city of Byzantium. Then Alexander the Great's dad, Philip II of Macedon, also Greek, invaded Byzantium. Philip was unable to hold the city, but Alexander, years later, was able to hold the city on his way to conquer Persia. The Romans eventually influenced the politics of Byzantium by about 200 AD. Then in 312 AD, the Emperor Constantine would proclaim Byzantium as the capital of his newly reunited Rome. The name would change from Byzantium to Constantinople. What is now Istanbul in Turkey was once called Constantinople, that is, the opolis of Emperor Constantine. Guitars, algebra, chemistry, and even the Pythagorean theorem originally came from non-European regions and predate European greatness. Indeed, it was the influx of such foreign ideas that enabled European tribes to nationalize themselves into kingdoms and, eventually, empires. And yet, what most of these regions relied on was slave labor and violence to achieve greatness. Elements such as those needed for bronze, which is an alloy of copper and tin, required labor to dig them out of the earth and refine them into useful objects. How much of the labor in those days came from slaves? 
Vikings traded white northern slaves in Constantinople for the goods and services available there. But slavery in the eastern Mediterranean had been around long before the Vikings traded other Europeans down the river. For instance, Spartacus and Epictetus were from the area of Greece. Technically, Spartacus was a Thracian, but that was its pre-Hellenic name. Epictetus, like Spartacus, was a slave. If you read Conan the Barbarian novels or graphic novels, the time period depicted in those is basically what life was like in those days, roughly 1000 BC to 600 BC, the Bronze Age, and the earliest days of iron and steel. There have been many slave uprisings throughout history. For example, in Haiti in the 1790s, black slaves were being enlightened by Toussaint L'Ouverture. He was an abolitionist who made speeches against slavery and for freedom. He recruited rebels. Another man named Duddy Bookman helped enchant rebels at a large voodoo ceremony held at Bois Cayman. The rebel army grew laying waste to 1,800 plantations and killing 1,000 slave owners within one week. The French army had to intervene. By 1794, the French had to agree to abolish slavery, not only because of the slave uprising, but also because of the imperial war France was fighting against Britain and Spain. This was all happening during the time of the French Revolution. At the end of the 1790s, Napoleon Bonaparte was on his way to becoming emperor. Napoleon died in 1821. During the 19th century, global empires were forced to abandon slavery. However, it wasn't until the late 1800s that the transatlantic slave trade was officially ended globally. Sadly, still in the early 21st century, humans on earth still engage in human trafficking but it is not done as openly as like in years past. Nowadays, it is done stealthily using the internet, drugs, and children. According to recent FBI statistics, 34% of missing persons are under 18 years old. Furthermore, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children indicates that in 2020, there were 17,000 reports of child sex trafficking in the United States. Those reports came from all 50 states and from every type of community. It happens all over the world. In fact, there is often a large trafficking ring of perverts involved. The ancient Romans had prostitutes. And ages of consent amongst slaves didn't exist. Laws existed to keep Roman elites in power, not to give power to lower castes. Seeing other humans as humans is, like it or not, a relatively recent phenomena in so-called civilized society. America first! America first! Looked like a medieval battle scene. You know, it was some of the most brutal combat you know, I've ever, uh, ever encountered. Uh, at one point I got tased. This is happening while the rioters were literally roaming the halls of the Capitol. Many of them chanting, hang Mike Pence and bring out Pence. 
while rioters outside had set up a makeshift gallows in the field near the capital. When Europeans arrived on the eastern shore of Turtle Island, Europe itself was a hodgepodge of cultures and ideas. There were different religions, philosophies, industries, and countries. Modern reality is a mix of everything. The words science and knowledge may have Greek linguistic roots, but knowledge itself is universal. To the Anishinaabe people, human servitude is antithetical to our natural freedom. Sharing is fundamental to our culture. Greed and selfishness are considered gateways to the greatest evils. Indeed, it is greed and selfishness that turns regular people into cannibalistic windigos. Advertising, marketing, sales. What about life? The destruction of life is how business works. Let me explain. In order to get gold or other minerals and elements out of the ground, a hole has to be dug into the ground. To make a clearing to dig the hole, the trees have to be cut down. Now you have an area with no trees and a hole in the ground. To process the gold, it has to be smelted. This requires chemicals like cyanide and lots of heat. The fire has to be kept going and kept hot. This itself requires energy and resources. The same process has been done for elements like lead, silver, coal, gemstones, tin, and even uranium. To get to these elements, the people who live upon the land on top of the elements are usually removed, by force if necessary. This has happened all over the world and all throughout history since the time humans first learned to dig holes in the ground. This has been going on for thousands of years. England, the island, used to have large oak forests, but those were cut down hundreds of years ago to build the ships that would become the British Armada. So, because they chopped down all their trees, they had to leave their little island and start chopping down trees on other parts of the planet. This hasn't stopped. Canada, which is still basically a colony of England, still cuts down huge swaths of old-growth forests. In fact, there's a protest going on right now at Ferry Creek in British Columbia. The police have used heavy-handed tactics to make sure that all those old trees are chopped down completely. This is done so that government jobs, that is, the jobs allowed to exist by the government such as forestry, mining and policing, can continue to exist. This is colonization and the settler economy. But how does this relate to human trafficking? Well, ever heard of Enbridge? Some of their workers have been accused of enticing women to come party with them. The party was a ruse for prostitution. As a result, two of Enbridge's workers were arrested. The company doesn't officially condone this behavior because it is illegal, but this behavior is not uncommon amongst macho men when left unsupervised. And this is not unique to Enbridge. Other macho companies that require man labor in the wilderness do the same thing. For example, the United States Department of Justice released a report in 2014 that indicated that the Dakota Access Pipeline development brought in workers flushed with cash and that simultaneously there was a sharp increase in sex trafficking and domestic violence. Such hard-working men need to let off steam when they party, right? How is this related to First Nations people? 
Well, in 2019, the Ontario Native Women's Association released a report entitled Indigenous Anti-Human Trafficking Report 2017-2018. to Through in-person interaction with sex trafficking survivors, the report authors discovered the following information. Quote, Each community is affected in different ways. Communities located in the western part of the province have seen a major increase of trafficked young women due to mining and forestry camps. Women in low-wage jobs, cleaners, cooks, etc., in the camps are lured in sexual exploitation with promises of more money in one night than they would make in a month if only they stayed after their shifts and partied with the men. Traffickers use money, drugs, and alcohol as a form of luring or coercion. Some women are kidnapped, raped, and many are propositioned for sex. Women and girls are found in snowbanks, barely clothed with no shoes, near mining camps. Some girls disappear. In response to the prevalence of sexual exploitation of indigenous women near industry camps, many companies set up security measures, wire fences, security cameras, etc. Men in the camps find ways around these measures. Some workers report that managers are involved in the trafficking or tolerate it. End quote. The use of prostitutes to entice men to work in faraway places has been used over and over again through the Western Empire building process. For instance, have you ever noticed in those cowboy movies that those little towns usually have a brothel or a bordello or a cat house? That's because women were used as prostitutes so that the cowboys or prospectors would spend their hard-earned resources like gold, silver, or tar sands cash. This same macho mentality even infiltrates modern city planning. For instance, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the insinuation that sex with a lower class of human was used in the city's advertising campaign as part of their gentrification of the downtown area. The narrative of the sexual conqueror is evidenced by Owen Taves, author of the book Stolen City, Racial Capitalism and the Making of Winnipeg. In it, he discusses the many things done against First Nations and Métis people since the time of Louis Riel and into the 21st century. Taves writes, quote, In 2013, Center Venture mounted a print and internet campaign called Time to Live Here, Condos and Rentals for Your New Life Downtown, featuring a series of yuppie vignettes. It's 8.14 a.m. on Waterfront Drive, one begins, as a white man in an expensive suit strolls past the warbler, holding a coffee. In the text, the man obsesses over the sexy artist who made his coffee, an opportunity his downtown condo affords him. I watch her hands tap the grinds as she tells me about her new gallery showing. Her eyes tell me I should probably check it out. We both know I will. I step back into the warm morning and into the shade of the city's most historic buildings. I walk the last few blocks to work. Reminiscent of Mercury's poem, Mistress, the advertisement attempted to sell city-centered real estate to suburban men by promising them an opportunity to rub shoulders with and possibly fuck poor people. End quote. Taves shows in his book 
that this vision of superiority is a main selling point for such real estate ventures. Indeed, John Wayne isn't remembered for his soft demeanor, right? Thinking of oneself as a tough guy is a stereotype that goes along with settler colonialism and all its industries such as timber, mining, oil and gas, and human trafficking. Consider the ironic hypocrisy of the following question. If oil makes life easier, then how can it make you manly and independent at the same time? Furthermore, why should I buy into this brainwashing when there are viable alternatives? That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.